Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news of the week. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, and I am joined today by a whole raft of our journalists. Uh, we have John Evans down in Brazil. We have Rachel Sapin uh, housed up in her home in Everett, Washington. John Fiorillo also in Seattle. Myself here in my home in Bellingham, Washington, and we have Demi housed up in London. Hello, everybody. I hope you're well. We'll dive right in. Uh, coronavirus is uh, just about hanging over every single story that we wrote this week. I think maybe we had a couple. Uh, Demi, you wrote up salaries for uh, for some of the salmon farmers. And uh, beyond that, everything had coronavirus hanging over it. So, uh, folks, that's going to be our topic today for the podcast, and we'll talk a bit about uh, some of the things that have been going on this week, and then look ahead a little bit to what's going to happen um, uh, in the coming weeks. So let's talk a bit about the food service sector. This was the week that we started really, really feeling the collapse, and uh, everyone that is involved in selling it to the food service sector really, really felt uh, really felt it. Um, restaurants are closing up shop and going bankrupt. Some major chains uh, in the U.S. and Europe are really feeling it. John, I'm going to kick it over to you first because uh, you broke some news about the U.K. fish and chips sector. A lot of people are not possibly clear about just how big that sector is and how important it is to the U.K. Um, it's effectively, uh, effectively shuttered uh, as of now or overwhelmingly shuttered, correct? Yeah, um, we last reported uh, yesterday that 80% of up to 80% of shops uh, had closed, and it was which was a very fast turnaround actually, because on Friday, uh, last Friday I should say, um, the federation, the Fish Fries Federation, was advising um, shop owners to stay open largely, and then they had a board meeting on Sunday uh, where they still wanted to stay open. And then half the board members themselves closed their shops on by uh, Monday afternoon. So it was a very uh, fast turnaround. Uh, just to put it in perspective, as you say, um, 10,500 shops, something like that in Britain, uh, worth uh, 1.2 million, sorry, 1.2 billion pounds uh, or 1.4 billion dollars. And it's part of the, the, the cultural fabric of, Brit of British life. People go to the fish and chip shop, particularly on Friday night. And uh, as uh, John Perillo and myself uh, discovered the other day, we were looking uh, for evidence of what was happening. We found uh, a rather long a video of rather long lines in neighbouring Ireland, which has a similar uh, taste for fish and chips. Um, so that was um, that was an eye opener. And um, yeah, I mean, they are saying that they, or the Federation is saying, you know, you know, if it gets to the point where they have to reopen. Uh, you know, in a national emergency, they will do it. But they need people to marshal the queues, uh, the lines of, of people outside to make sure that they're spaced out. And and the main problem for them is that, um, you know, that they work in confined spaces in, in fish and chip shops in the kitchens. And, and, and you know, they're, they're constantly moving around and trying to keep two metres between staff is, has proved virtually impossible. And that was the, the, the overriding factor in... Uh, up to 80% of them closing. So this is going to have a knock-on effect too, obviously, right straight down the, the chain. 
primarily to the uh, whitefish suppliers in, in Norway and in, and in Iceland and to a certain extent in the UK. So um, we have the same impact happening uh, in other countries as well. Um, you know, here in the United States, uh, you're seeing, as I said, big restaurants, the Cheesecake Factory, which is a, a major chain. They're saying they can't keep the lights on uh, through April. And even with this massive stimulus bill that just uh, is about to pass uh, in the U.S., it's still highly unlikely that some of these restaurants will uh, open up uh, again. Um, John Fiorillo, you uh, wrote about this kind of when you first spoke to some of these restaurants, or sorry, some of these seafood uh, suppliers that are moving into restaurants, I mean, they were pretty bleak about what's going to happen. And um, and within the span of just a few days, we're already where they uh, predicted we would be. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, that, that particular chain uh, employs 38,000 people. So... Think just think of the magnitude, the knock-on effect of them not being able to open their their restaurants, and you know, like you you said, that's being duplicated or you know, that's happening across the country, across other countries. It, it's just it's hard to imagine how big a problem this potentially will be. Um, I I mean, from a supply point of view. We're seeing a lot of suppliers, some of the biggest in the world, Cisco, and and then just some smaller seafood suppliers or of all size, shift to retail and try and service that market um, because the demand there is obviously very strong and continues to be and will continue to be as far as everybody can tell. So it's it's a very you know disturbed uh, market obviously at the moment, but. Um, I'm just really curious to figure out or to begin to try and understand how the food service sector will recover out of this. Uh, you know, what are the steps it will have to take to recover? I, at this point, it's, you know, it's unclear, obviously. It's interesting because the, the bigger chains like the Cheesecake Factory, um, which is, you know, as you said, it's all over in the U.S. and it's basically a I guess you'd say a fast casual or casual dining uh, restaurant. Um, those ones have a much broader menu, and uh, and and actually that that will impact multiple species. But um, some are much more targeted in the way that the UK fish and chip shops are. McDonald's in the UK and Ireland um, just closed up uh, their doors until you know again everyone sort of has a loose estimate but really when when anybody is closing down right now it, it's you can say indefinitely because there's no way to know demi you you looked at this a little bit and talked to some sources uh in europe now um uh in mcdonald's in the uk primarily they use alaska pollock they use some hokey as well um and uh, also some some cod in some places but primarily alaska pollock so deep skin Alaska Pollock is the primary uh, is a primary ingredient in the McDonald's fillet of fish, and that goes for the entire world basically. So with the closures of McDonald's uh, in Ireland and the UK, what is the impact then on that deep skin, and who who actually ends up paying the the price when a major purchaser like that just stops? 
So yeah, uh, UK announcing that it closed McDonald's is just following up on other European countries like Belgium and Netherlands and France who also closed their doors uh, last week. Um, but basically, as you mentioned, because it's deep skin, it's kind of difficult to uh, divert their supply into other sectors. So instead, they just the suppliers themselves will have to uh, pay for their inventory and keep the stock in their cold stores until McDonald's opens its doors again, because it's quite hard and costly uh, to, to divert this kind of uh, species uh, into retail. Right. And that's kind of a, a bigger, larger challenge, right, is how do you then move from food service into retail? And we've talked to some people this week about that. And it seems on one hand, not uh, too difficult, right? There's still the demand. And in fact, retail demand is booming. But it's not quite that simple from a raw material point of view. Um, now, I'll just say really quickly, uh, with some of the people we talked to, China is opening back up, which is very interesting. And I think we can uh, we can talk about that maybe next week because we'll have some coverage on that. But China is opening back up. So you are having some of these fast food chains and some of these other uh, purchasers ramp back up. And that will be really interesting to see if the food service sector in China um, is able to recover how uh, how the uh, Chinese citizens sort of think of dining out um, after all of this. So that that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, John Evans, uh, you were uh, on a call with uh, with the Nomad CEO uh, yesterday. That's uh, Nomad is a parent of Birdseye Igloo. And what was his take on uh, retail purchasing of frozen uh, frozen fish? Because mainly we have all been associating and, and uh, we've reported stories about uh, canned tuna uh, in particular, canned tuna demand just going through the roof because that's kind of where people go and they think the, uh, the end times are near. But actually, retail in general is booming. And I guess the question for a lot of companies is, whether or not this is going to uh, to continue. So, what did uh, what did the Nomad CEO have to say? Um, he spoke in very guarded tones, to be quite honest with you, because he 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 he, he realizes that it's it's an opportunity for the company, but also that he has a responsibility to feed the public. That's the way he looks he looks at it. Um, he did report very strong sales, and they'll be well ahead of their figures in the, in the first quarter from what they were expecting. They were already expecting good figures. He didn't give any percentages um, in terms of higher sales, but he did say very strong sales, not, of course, to the same extent of, of toilet paper and that kind of thing. But, um, yes, and he, did, he said at this stage, maybe next week or in the, in the coming weeks, they may be able to determine whether this is just pantry hoarding uh, or, uh, or, or what percentage is pantry hoarding and what is actually being consumed. That is a difficult thing for them to try and work out at the moment. And he did say that later on down the line, of course, they will have to face a point when people, people do start destocking what's in their um, freezers. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're prepared for that. But and he's well aware, as as we all are, I think, that you know we can only buy as much um, frozen fish, frozen food as our freezers will hold. Right, right. Well, I'm wondering too, and we've sort of heard different 
different thoughts on this because of the way that the, the global whitefish supply is so interconnected. But, um, you know, the actual supply of the product, we had, um, you know, one CEO told me earlier this week that um, this huge demand has meant they have to take a, a loss on uh, one of their retail contracts because it just needs to get filled and the demand is far beyond what, what, their, um, what their customer had expected. And so that's going to be interesting. I know that, uh, John, you reported a, a while back that Highliner and uh, and uh, Birdseye Igloo had, had been hoarding some product. So I'm just curious how long that's going to last. And that'll be interesting to try to um, get a sense of how, how uh, Pollock, Cod, other whitefish producers, frozen salmon, how they're all going to keep that pipeline full, especially in a time where logistics are such a challenge. So... Um, there will be, I think, a point where this demand may outstrip uh, the ability of some uh, some suppliers to keep product uh, to keep product moving in there. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, so so moving on to salmon just a bit, John Chile has been um, pretty uh, up and down right now in terms of its uh, logistics. They've managed to keep things. Moving for the most part, China has opened back up for for Chile, which is important. Um, so, tell us sort of where we stand, and is there any any fears that there might be a disruption of product going into the United States? Um, that's difficult to say at the moment because I was speaking to people this week. They they, they seem to be saying that the the, the 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 supplies and the and the orders to the United States are holding up. Um, but we have heard whispers. In that you know that um, companies are supplying less than they were, um, but we haven't been able to confirm that at this point. Um, there was also speculation because of Chile going into lockdown that um, processing plants might close and um, production sites. But where, you know, when you speak to people like Cam and Chaka, they're adamant that they won't do that from the production site point, uh, point of view because they're working with um, live animals. There's also been um, a sort of an unclear situation on Chiloe Island, which has got quite a few uh, processors there as well. And there's only one a road in and out of there, one route in and out of there, I should say, and you have to get there by, by uh, ferry. Um, Sam and Chile said everything is work is working normally. There, there has been various sanitary cordons in Chile uh, placed around various areas. Um, Chiloe Island was one of those. Um, but I have put quite a few questions to Sam and Chile to try and establish uh, what the exact situation is. Um, and they, have, they haven't come back to me at this point. Um, so we're a little bit in the dark about, uh, you know, how much salmon is going into fresh, how much is going into frozen at the moment. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, a sort of, uh, it, it, it has been said by the locals on Chiloe Island that by keeping the, uh, the, the flow of trucks running, that the uh, you know the, the authorities are putting the interest of the salmon industry for the local population, but um, you know that that that's not something that uh, the salmon companies obviously uh, agree with. So yes, it's it's a little bit confused at the moment. There's also, I think we'll come on to the issue of um, uh, cold storage a bit later, but 
there's, you know, there's, we're also trying to find out whether, you know, salmon is now competing with traditional users of cold storage, such as um, flowers and fruit. Right, because and and that's the interesting um, and potentially really costly thing for the for the farm salmon industry. Obviously, if you're selling a product fresh, you're getting a higher price than if you are selling that frozen, um, and that is uh, going to be an issue I think facing a lot of producers, particularly. When you see the signs um, our colleagues in Norway uh, reported on uh, forward-looking prices for the coming week um, that are about knock 50 per kilo, um, and, and that's just going to be harder and harder to maintain that demand uh, as food service drops off because so much of what is sent out of Norway is uh, whole-headed and gutted. And so, uh, unlike Chile, you are require you you are depending on processors to actually um, process that fish into formats that restaurants uh, want or retailers want. So that creates a, an interesting uh, an interesting additional dynamic for Norway is whether or not they can uh, pivot into other product forms. Um, but it will require, and one, uh, one farmer told us this, it's going to require more product to go into frozen inventory because it is piling up. There's only a limited amount of cold storage space. Um, but again, when that product gets, gets frozen, you're immediately uh, slicing off a lot of margin off, uh, off, your, uh, off your sales. So, um, Rachel Sapin, you looked in a broader sense at the U.S. Uh, cold storage um, situation, and uh, they, they also have, uh, are seeing issues, and it was already fairly crowded prior to coronavirus. So what can we expect from, uh, from cold storage space availability, you think, coming forward? Yeah, that's exactly what I heard was, you know, the U.S.-China trade war kind of had a lot of cold storage filling up in the U.S. as people just weren't sure what was happening once a month with that. Um, and now that's been kind of amplified by um, by coronavirus. That was what I got from Brian Beattie, who's the senior vice president of sales with Lineage Logistics. They're one of the largest cold storage companies in the United States, and they have a ton of global entities as well. Um, so, you know, he just says that, it's not something that's delaying food getting into the U.S. or there is cold storage capacity. But if you're looking for a major hub to store like Seattle or Los Angeles, you might um, have some issues. And even um, some of the uh, smaller cold storage facilities um, in Bellingham, one I spoke with Bellingham Cold Storage, Doug Thomas over there. He is having a very busy month right now, especially for his companies that are uh, storing for retail. Uh, he told me some of the company's on-site seafood processing customers are up 250% over the previous year for foods currently destined for retail or grocery. So he's right now looking for space, anticipating that he's going to need it. Um, he does have room right now. So yeah, I think uh, companies are just kind of adapting, shifting to storage for retail, and, you know, food is still an essential service. So food's still coming in. There's not a shortage of food, but companies are kind of changing the way they're storing food. Um, and that's like an evolving issue. Right. And I think that that's a really important thing. Like you're, you're saying that 
um, that that shift to retail involves so much more than just sort of putting your product into a different bag. Um, it requires a whole shift in supply chain, uh, a whole shift in how products are made. And you can hear from Rachel that she's at home with her child, like so many of us. Um, and, and it requires some yes. major... <laughs> I think We got in a fight earlier, but we're good now. It's a... Uh... He's left. I, so. I think many of our listeners and readers are sympathizing. So, um, but but it is it is going to be I think the big issue to watch uh, in the coming uh, couple of weeks. But um, let's go around before we finish here. And uh, and what are the big things, uh, John Fiorilla? Maybe we can start with you. What are the big things that we the industry needs to be looking at uh, right now to be watching and and uh, things that we're going to be looking into. Well, you know, I, I think a, a big area to focus on is the plants themselves. Uh, m you know, food supply, like Rachel said, is an essential business in uh, almost everywhere around the world uh, during this crisis. But, you know, can they keep the plants running? Will the workers, uh, will they have enough workers uh, over enough shifts to keep product flowing? Uh, you know, we're hearing... In Chile, for example, there, there's a growing reluctance among workers to come to the plants, you know, for fear of getting sick or, um, you know, something along those lines. So I'm going to kind of keep an eye on the plants themselves and their ability to meet uh, whatever demand is out there for, you know, the products they sell. I, I think um, the longer this goes on, the uh, b bigger potential there is for some um, some challenges there. Demi, what do you think? Well, um, on the positive side, we do see a big uptake in, in, in demand for retail. So I'm I'm just wondering, once coronavirus does blow over, is is demand for retail seafood re and retail uh, going to continue this way? Because generally, I was speaking to a CEO today and. We discussed the fact that with people staying at home more, they, they might tend to try out cooking seafood because usually you go out to restaurants to eat seafood. Um, so maybe then that way consumers are going to be more comfortable with cooking seafood and that habit is going to stay once coronavirus blows over. Interesting. Yeah. Um, John Evans, what are you, uh, what are you seeing as, as things to keep an eye on? I don't want to give too much away on, on, on a report I'm um, just about to start writing at the moment. I've an interview, a very interesting interview with a, a European uh, retail expert. Focuses mainly on the UK and Ireland, but also looks at Italy. And he, he sort of outlined a lot of the challenges that companies are faced, uh, are facing and will face, including logistics problems to to and from China, but I don't want to give too much away about that because uh, we want our readers to read it next week. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Rachel Sapin, uh, any thoughts on, on what, uh, what we should be keeping an eye on? Well, I've been really interested in how restaurants have been responding. Um, some are really creative, like they've been offering these packages where they're like, oh, we'll give you some food to take out, but we'll also give you some toilet paper and some eggs and like you know, they're kind of like creeping into that retail space, which I think is really interesting. Um, I just think, yeah, there's a lot of blurred lines right now. And, and I'm really just really fascinated to see how, how restaurants adapt. 
Yeah, that is really interesting to see what, um, like you said, how those things might converge uh, and what we're gonna, what things are gonna look like on the other side. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's all great stuff and all things we'll pursue. I think uh, an interesting thing to look closer at that uh, that we will be looking closer at is China, and um, what is happening there now that it's opening back up, and whether or not again it's gonna uh, return to its uh, former. Uh, glory as a, a seafood consumer and as a processor and uh, as we understand things are opening back up on the processing front and I guess the question is with all these changes uh, all these different trends that have been uh, all shifting over the past couple of weeks whether or not China will sort of um, uh, be able to, to turn the lights back on and and, uh, and retain its position as a as a as a processor so all right, well, we'll leave it there. Uh, remember, you can find us on intrafish.com. You can get our newsletters. We have a coronavirus blog that we are tracking uh, all the news on. That is free for uh, everybody, and it just gives you quick updates. Of course, our subscribers get full coverage 24-7 uh, from our, our bureaus around the world. Uh, we also will be having a uh, coronavirus daily newsletter launching in the coming weeks. Uh, feel free to sign up for that if you want to keep on top of it because the news is coming hard and fast and we're trying to keep on top of it, but also give you some context because um, I know all of us around the world are overwhelmed with news and we're trying to not just bring you uh, what's happening, but actually try to help you understand what it means. So thanks everybody for joining and we'll talk to you next week.